you have your Bibles, turn over to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24, beginning in verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served on, that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in which, whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Here we have a challenge that's being issued by Joshua, encouraging us to choose the Lord. He's talking to the children of Israel, and they needed to make a choice. Joshua had been a great leader. We can see in, uh, with Joshua and Moses, both of them were great leaders, but Joshua had to fill the shoes of Moses. And I'm sure that that was no easy task, but he seemed to be very successful at what he did in leading the children of Israel. Because we can see that the children of Israel were faithful, even though they had some uh, issues with sin throughout their uh, existence, they were still faithful to God under the leadership of Moses and then the leadership of Joshua. And if you read down further in that same chapter, you would find that the elders that outlived Joshua continued to lead the people in the right way. And it was only later that we see the children of Israel start to depart in a major way away from God. But Joshua was at the end of his life when he issued that challenge. And he's encouraging the people to choose God. He's led the children of Israel into the promised land, and he's gained a control of a major portion of that promised land. And now he calls on the people to remember all that God has done for them in how that He had delivered them out of Egypt and how He had taken care of them while they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. His warning to Israel is that they need to make up their minds. It's time to choose. Instead of dilly-daddling around between two commitments, Joshua is saying, choose you whom ye will serve. And brethren, that's a challenge that we need to make to everyone today in all of our own lives. Choose today whom you're going to serve. Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve the world? That's the choice that you and I have today. It's basically the same choice that the children of Israel had when Joshua issued that challenge. Joshua issued that final challenge to Israel and you would think, you would just think that after all that Israel had gone through, all that God had done for them, how He fed them, how He provided for them, their clothes didn't wear out, their shoes didn't wear out. God's the reason for all of that. As they wandered there in the wilderness, and God protected them, you would think that the choice would have already been made when they seen how good God had been to them. After 40 years in the wilderness, a new generation had to be confronted by the choice for themselves. And that's really the problem that we have today or a situation that we have today. You may choose to follow God, but yet there's another generation that also has to make that decision to follow God also. It's a choice that you make and I make, and it's a choice that everyone has to make. But the decision is up to them as to whether or not they're going to choose God. You see, we live in a world that is filled 
with the evidence of bad choices. You don't have to look very far and you can see the problems that exist in this world because people have made bad choices. And we see that the Bible is full of examples of people who have made the wrong choices. There's a record of, of many different individuals throughout the Bible that have made tragic choices. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, He created this earth for you and I, and we enjoy the things of nature that God has provided for us. Adam and Eve were no different. And God planted a garden for them. It was called the Garden of Eden. And He placed them in that garden. And He told them what they needed to do, how they needed to take care of that garden. But He told them not to eat of the forbidden fruit. And we find there very quickly into the Bible that Adam and Eve sinned against God. Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, then she gave it to Adam, and he ate of the forbidden fruit, and they were there was consequences for their actions. It was tragic that they disobeyed God. They had a choice. They could have obeyed God, or they could have disobeyed God, and they chose to disobey God. And they were driven out of that beautiful garden and sin separated them from God. But we know that God made a plan, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But in a few chapters later, just a few chapters later, several generations are covered, but the Bible says that the wickedness of man was so great that the, every imagination of his thought was only evil continually. And it was so bad that God repented that He made man. And He said that He was going to destroy the world by a flood. And so all a man was going to be wiped out with the exception of Noah, his wife, his, and his sons, and their wives. And why is it that Noah was spared? Because Noah was perfect in the sight of God. He was a righteous man. He did what he was supposed to do. He lived that example. And you notice that as a result of his life and the choices that he made, his wife was saved, his children were saved, and their wives were saved. And they were saved in that flood. And you are, you and I are here today because of Noah's righteousness. So think about that. The choices that you make, the implication and the influence that they have on other people's lives. We can read further into the Old Testament and we can see Abraham's sin. When he lied about Sarah and being his wife, said she was his sister, and deceived. We can see Abraham, the man of faith, was also a man that sinned. And then we can see Jacob and others. Joseph with his brothers. His brothers sinned against him by selling him into slavery. And we see example after example in the Old Testament. King David, when he sinned with Bathsheba and tried to cover it up and murdered Uriah the Hittite, he did all of those things. And then when you read further, you can see where the kings of Israel were evil. And they disobeyed God. And then in the New Testament, we find the example of Peter. Something as simple as saying that he would never deny Christ, we see that eventually when he was confronted, that he did deny Christ. And he went out and he wept bitterly, the Bible says. We can see where Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul, we can see where the Bible says that he held the coats of those that stoned Stephen, and he consented to death. And we can see later on that he made havoc of the church. But yet he obeyed the Gospel. But you can see man's sin and the tragedy and the consequences of those sins. 
I would imagine that Peter went out and wept bitterly because his conscience was pricked. His conscience was bothered. His heart was broken. And sometimes we make the wrong decisions ourselves because we know what we're supposed to do. And when we don't live up to the standard, our heart breaks too. I'm sure that the Apostle Paul, when he became a Christian, was ashamed of the things that he did to the body of Christ. Those are some of the consequences that we have in this life of the tragedy of disobeying God. And so the Bible is full of examples of tragedies where people disobeyed God, made bad choices, and suffered the consequences. But we also see in the Bible that God has a yearning to redeem mankind from the foolish choices and tragic ends that people choose. He wants us to be saved. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, we can find in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, that God made a promise. Beginning in verse 14, it says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thy shall bruise his heel. Now we see that as a little vague sometimes. Maybe we don't really understand that. But that's a promise that the Messiah is going to come and He's going to destroy Satan. Yes, Satan is going to hurt him by hanging him on a cross because of sin. But Jesus is going to be victorious and to deliver a blow to him that he will not be able to recover from. And so there we see that when man sinned, God is planning and made a plan so that man could be redeemed. In Genesis chapter 22 and verse 18, God said to Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Again, God is making a promise to Abraham. Abraham sinned, but yet God still is making a promise that through his seed, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Why? Because Abraham obeyed. He did what God wanted him to do. Sure, he made mistakes. It's like we all make mistakes. But God was willing to forgive those things when they were made right. John chapter 3 and verse 16. Jesus says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent His Son to die on a cross. Why? Because He yearns. His desire is that man be saved. You may ask the question, well, why doesn't man, if God wanted everyone to be saved, why doesn't He just save everyone? And the answer is quite simple. Because not everyone wants to be saved. God's given us a choice. You and I have a choice. We can be saved or we can be lost. That's the choice that we have. And it's pretty much just that simple. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some may count slackness. But as long suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want anyone to be lost. But yet, He leaves it up to you and I as to whether or not we're saved. The choice is yours. It's just like the challenge that Joshua issued to the children of Israel. Choose you this day. You choose today whom you're going to serve. Are you going to serve God? Or are you going to serve Satan? The choice is just that simple. God wants you to be saved, but you have to want to be saved 
in order for that to take place. The Bible also has stories uh, and events of people who who did the right thing, who had made the right choice. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11, after Peter stated that God's not willing that any should suffer, he goes on to tell us about the world and that the world is going to be dissolved and it's going to be burned up. And the earth and the works that are therein will be consumed. It will be burned up. And so he asks an important question or makes an important statement when he said, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in all holy, holy conversation and godliness? Peter says, you realize that this world is going to be destroyed? You realize God wants you to be saved? Knowing all of that, what kind of life should you live? We're not going to escape judgment. We're not going to escape the destruction of this earth. We're not going to escape death. Because the Bible plainly tells us it's an appointment that you and I will meet. Hebrews 9 and verse 27. Jesus even gives us an example in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21, about making the right choice. Because He says in the beginning of verse 21, "...not everyone that saith unto Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of My Father which is in heaven." Many will say to Me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Thy name? And in Thy name cast out devils? And in Thy name done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from Me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of Mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon the rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. I want you to notice that in that parable that Jesus gives, two individuals had a choice. One had a choice to, or both had a choice to listen and obey. One chose to obey. One chose to go his own way. The wise man heard and he did what he was supposed to do. And the rains came and the floods came and the winds blew and it beat upon his house, but his house stood firm. Why? Because his house was built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. He chose God. The foolish man, he built a house. But he didn't choose God. He chose to build his own house. Build it the way he wanted to. He didn't build it upon the foundation of God built it upon His own foundation, which was sand. And notice in that parable that the rain and the wind and the storm blew on both of those houses, but one fell and the other stood. We have a choice. And just as Jesus preferenced that parable with the fact of not everyone that saith unto Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, we have to do the will of God if we want heaven to be our home. And that means that if we choose God, we have to make a total commitment to God. It can't be, I'm going to be for God today and for somebody else tomorrow. I can't live for God on Sunday and live for the devil and the world the rest of the week. I have to be totally committed to my Lord. That's what the Bible is teaching us. And so the Bible has, tells us about choices that people have. And we have a right to choose. 
And choice is not an opinion or an option. It's a must. And we make a choice. Whether we like it or not, we make a choice. Back up in Matthew chapter 7, and verse 13. Jesus makes it very simple when He says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So Jesus is saying there's two choices, two roads that you can travel. One is easy, which is broad, and everybody, a lot of people are going to go down that road. The other one is straight and narrow, and it's more difficult. But the choice is yours. But few are going to choose that narrow path. Why? Because it's not easy to serve God. It's not easy to be faithful. It's not easy to do what God wants you to do. Why? Because there's a, the world's out there pulling at you, trying to get you to do what the devil wants you to do. And so Jesus is saying you got two choices. And when you start down that straight and narrow, there's always alternatives that are before us in every area of life. As we go down that straight and narrow path that leads to life eternal, we can get off on any exit and go back into the world. We can get back off and we can do the things that the world wants us to do. The choice is ours. You see, it's not enough just to know the right way. Right has the power only as it is done as we invest in it. You see, how many of us know what is right? How many of us as Christians know what we're supposed to do? But then when the option comes where you can gossip or you can tear down or you can lie or you can cheat or you can go somewhere you shouldn't go or you can do something that you shouldn't do, how many of us make the right choice? You see, it's easy to know the right choice. It's easier to choose the wrong thing. Jesus is saying that wise man hears and does. Makes the right choice. Knows what's right and does what's right. And that's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Are we doing what we know is the right thing to do? You see, principles are of little value unless we are prepared to live by them. You see, we can have, you can hear about all kinds of good principles that people may have. But if you're not living by it, what good is it doing? We have to make a choice. And Joshua also tells us that it's time. Joshua says, choose this day. In other words, don't put it off till tomorrow. Don't put it off till next week. Choose you this day. Choose now. Why? Because it's important. It's that important that you need to choose today. And in fact, in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, it says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today is all that we have, a promise of right now. All we have is right now. We don't have a promise of the next minute, the next hour, the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year. We don't have that promise. Right now is all that we have. And so Joshua is saying, choose you this day. Don't put it off. 
Paul is saying today, now is the time of salvation. Why? Why do they say that? Because time is short. James tells us, whereas in James chapter 4, verse 14 and 15, whereas ye know not what shall be on tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we will live and do this or that. The Bible plainly shows us that life is short. And when we talk about we may live to be a hundred years old, we may live to be a hundred years old, but when we get to a hundred and we look back over it, it's gonna gone it will have gone by just like that. The sad reality is, and probably most of us in this room aren't going to make it to a hundred. That's pretty odd that people make it to a hundred. Not impossible, but a lot of people, most people don't make it to a hundred. But if you made it to a hundred, it would still be just a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Life is short. That's why it's important to choose today whom you will serve. In Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 1, Do not boast about tomorrow, for ye know not what a day may bring forth. How many people are going to get up today thinking all is well, only to find that there's something terrible is going to happen in their life? How many people are going to get up today thinking that they're going to go to bed tonight or get up tomorrow only to find out that they're not going to get up, uh, go to bed tonight because they're not going to make it through the day because they're going to die. That happens. And it happens every single day. You think about it even in your own life. How many times have bad things happened and you got up that morning you didn't think nothing bad was going to happen. It looked like it was going to be just an ordinary, regular old day. But then you got the phone call where you had the problem that, it, that came up and you realized this is not a normal day. Too many people waste too much time. That's why Joshua says, choose you this day. Years ago, I worked with a young lady who when I was a kid, I remember she was in my Bible class same, same class that I was in. And I asked her one day, I said, why don't you go to church anymore? She goes, well, it's like this. When I was a kid, my mother used to drive me to church every Sunday and she dropped me off for Bible class and worship. And she would go home or go somewhere else. And I begged her, I begged her to go in with me, to come to Bible class, to come to worship. But she didn't do that. And she goes, and you know what? Now she begs me to go to Bible class and to go to worship. Realize the impact you have on other people's lives. Realize the responsibility that you have to other people. Don't waste time. God doesn't want our leftovers. He doesn't want our pieces. He wants the whole you. He wants you. He wants your life. He wants all of you, all that you are. He wants it offered up and dedicated to Him. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, 
I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What's, what's Paul telling us? He's telling us that our life is a living sacrifice to God. How we conduct it should be dedicated to God. God doesn't want part of you. I know that there are times that people have argued that there's a difference between the soul and spirit. I don't believe that there's a difference. God saves our body, our soul, our spirit. He saves it all when He says that, uh, that Jesus died for our sins. God wants all of us. And that's what I want us to understand. God wants the entire you, all of you now. Living in this world, we live in this world, but living committed to God. Don't be like the world. Be what God wants you to be. The present is all that we have. This moment. And with each tick of the clock, a moment passes away that we will never get back. And so I encourage you to choose before it is too late. Joshua said, Choose you this day whom ye will serve. The call is for a decision. He said, Choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua is issuing a clarion call for decision. Basically, a line has been drawn in the sand. You're for Him or you're against Him. That's the choice that He's given. The point is, we need to stand up and be counted. It's important that as Christians, we stand up and be counted. Brother, our world is in bad shape. And as Christians, we need to be standing up for what is right and being that example in the world. How many of us are doing it? You see, we need to choose God for the good of our family. The challenge that was put to Israel was a challenge to build a nation based upon homes dedicated to the one and only true God. The challenge was put forth by Joshua. And Joshua had made a decision. His decision was that for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That was His choice. In other words, He was going to be the man of His house that God intended for Him to be. And brethren, we need more men to stand up and be the fathers and husbands that God wants them to be. Joshua committed himself to be the spiritual leader of his home. You see, a Christian home doesn't just happen. Marriage doesn't make a home a Christian home. Christian homes are the result of a deliberate choice that people make. Choose you whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And yes, we need fathers to stand up and be what they're supposed to be. Husbands standing up to be what they're supposed to be. And I'll say this, that if you're, you've got a husband or or a father that's not what they're supposed to be, if you're a wife or a mother, then there's more work for you to do. 
Because you've got to stand stronger. You've got to be that better example to show them, to show your children, to show the world that you've made the right choice. And it won't be easy, but that's what you've got to do. Brethren, I ask you this morning, will you make that same commitment? With Joshua, will you declare that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? This morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, we would encourage you to come and have a seat up here on the front row. Do you have that opportunity? Always stand and sing.